Futurized goes beneath the trends to track the underlying forces of disruption in tech, policy, business models, social dynamics, and the environment. I'm your host, Trunarne Unheim, futurist, author, investor, and serial entrepreneur. Join me as I discuss the societal impact of deep tech, such as AI, blockchain, IoT, nanotech, quantum, robotics, and synthetic biology, and tackle topics such as entrepreneurship, trends, or the future of work. On the show, I interview smart people with a soul, founders, authors, executives, and other thought leaders, or even the occasional celebrity. Futurized is a bi-weekly show preparing you to think about how to deal with the next decade's disruption so you can succeed and thrive no matter what happens. Futurized, conversations that matter. In episode 142 of the podcast, the topic is the future of monetizing content. Our guest is Jesse Krieger, Chief Content Officer at PowerFan.io. In this conversation, they talk about content creators, bloggers, podcasters, YouTubers, artists, storytellers, photographers, basically everyone who likes to share. What's wrong with the business model and how it's evolving with the opportunity to create non-fungible tokens, NFTs, specifically so-called value-added NFTs. If you're new to the show, seek particular topics or are looking for a great way to tell your friends about the show, which we always appreciate, we've got the episode categories. Those are at futurized.org slash episodes. They are collections of your favorite episodes organized by topic, such as entrepreneurship, trends, emerging tech, or the future of work. That'll help new listeners get a taste of everything we do here, starting with a topic they are familiar with or want to go deeper in. The host of the podcast, Trunarne Unheim, is the author of Health Tech, Future Tech, Pandemic Aftermath, Disruption Games, and Leadership from Below. For an overview, go to Tron's books at trondunheim.com books. At this stage, Futurized is lucky enough to have several sponsors. To check them out, go to sponsors uh, under futurized.org slash sponsors. If you are interested in sponsoring the podcast or to get an overview of other services provided by the host of this podcast, including how to book him for keynote speeches, please go to futurized.org slash store. We will consider all brands that have a demonstrably positive contribution to the future. Before you do anything else, make sure you are subscribed to our newsletter on futurized.org, where you can find hundreds of episodes of conversations that matter to our future. I hope you can also leave a positive review on iTunes or in your favorite podcast player. It really matters to the future of this podcast. Thanks so much. Let's begin. Jesse, how are you? Hey, Trond. Good to be here. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited. Uh, I, I think this is a good time to, to discuss a, 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 creative, a creative new technology for creatives. Yeah, it's not every I mean, day. Excited to dive into the future of monetizing content. I think there's a lot of ground to cover and uh, a lot of interesting things happening in the space. Jesse, you grew up in San Francisco Bay Area. That's always, uh, you know, a place where there's innovation taking place. Uh, what uh, what interested you early on? Uh, were you so you've been in the creative space, like musician? You know, I, I know you have a background from publishing, and you've done entrepreneurial things there and then you know you turned out this lifestyle 
uh, Entrepreneur Press, where you've published over a hundred authors. So the the creative streak, or you know, dancing around creativity and and content, has been kind of part of your life for a long time. Yeah, I mean, growing up in San Francisco Bay Area in the 1980s into the 90s, um, it was the dawn of the Silicon Valley area uh, era that we all know, you know, and and many of the tech companies like Apple in particular. Um, I grew up with a Mac Macintosh, the first one in in our home from like age five or six. So I'm at 39 years old now. I'm probably one of the first generation to grow up with a computer and internet access from, you know, uh, from essentially, you know, five, six years old onward, uh, where now that's very commonplace, but I still remember having a dial up modem and setting up a download to go overnight and hope nobody called in the middle of the night and cut the internet connection. And, you know, all the way forward to today where, um, technology is advanced at, at just an exponential degree. So it's been exciting to see that as alongside my own career developing. Well, talking about uh, development, you've also got a couple of degrees in, in Chinese. So wh- where did that come from? Uh, that, that sounds like a lot of foresight. Yeah. Um, in 2008, I was invited to Shanghai by an entrepreneurial friend who had lived there for two years, had started a business and knew some uh, entrepreneurial people. And it was unexpected. Um, so he invited me and a friend to Shanghai, showed us around, introduced us to some of his friends, got t- to see the culture and just what was going on. It kind of blew my mind um, of just how much activity and how much um, business as well is taking place in China. And so that kind of planted the seed. And then I decided to start studying a little and then I built a, uh, a USB flash drives wholesaler that we had manufacturers in South China. It was an online business. We had customers all around the world. And so I ultimately set up a drop shipping business. Um, so while studying the language was also building out this product based business. Um, and that itself kind of paved the way for what I wrote about in Lifestyle Entrepreneur. Because the whole premise for that business was uh, online run it from anywhere in the world and have production and customers without me as the business owner in between that, that equation. So I did have some business experiences in China. I had some language and cultural studying experiences and they kind of married together into a a period of my life where I was over there quite a bit and doing quite a bit more business with China than I am today. Just quickly on on lifestyle entrepreneur as a concept. I mean, that's not what we're talking about for the main part here today. But what does that mean to you? So lifestyle, as in integrating it in your life, or lifestyle, as in like just developing it as uh, it as kind of a thing that becomes very natural to you. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, like talking about growing up near Silicon Valley, there's tech entrepreneurs. There's you know. Um, other types of entrepreneurship that were the more dominant strain. So my approach was how to use the tools of entrepreneurship to have a lifestyle that's fun, creative, and that emphasizes the things that we're each passionate about. And to marry those two, that's the common thread between 
studying Chinese, having a business there, and ultimately writing a book about it. It's what I talk about in the book is combining those interests and passions to create new income streams. Um, and, and the spoiler alert is it doesn't take that much money to have a pretty amazing lifestyle if you're clear on what you want to be doing from a lifestyle perspective. So that's, that's how I think of it. And, um, and, and, and I think of it as something anyone can aspire to. It's not like Jesse, the lifestyle entrepreneur, it's lifestyle entrepreneurship as a way to approach, um, business creativity and, uh, and, and lifestyle design. The, the fascinating thing when you when you're speaking and I realized that you know you started off with your kind of innate sort of technology sense and background because that's the third bit that we are talking about you you have now married kind of the creativity part with the entrepreneurship part with a new spin on a new business model which we'll get to in a second that has to do with monetizing content using a technology platform that suddenly has become, available. So now you've added a little third leg to this lifestyle concept, I guess. Yeah, for sure. I mean, as we transition into like looking at um, blockchain and NFTs and the convergence of um, blockchain and crypto with creative industries, you know, this is something that I'm very interested in, very passionate about now uh, for a number of reasons, but I think chief among them is like this technology allows creative people to both make more money faster and directly from and with their fans than has ever been available. Um, and to very quickly go from having an idea to bringing it to market in a way that, um, they, that they're secure with their intellectual property and, and available to, uh, collect the revenues without a middleman, without a record label, without a publishing company even. Jesse, can you, before we get to the details of this new business model, can you just uh, maybe line up for, for us, what, what are the inherent challenges or have been the inherent challenges in in producing content as an artist, as a musician, or as an author, uh, or really as anybody who like to share content, it could, you know, obviously online be extended to bloggers and, you know, humble people like podcasters and others, YouTube artists, I mean, YouTubers, uh, any kind of storytellers. But uh, all of those people, uh, they are always obviously struggling, number one, to find an audience, and number two, to find a business model that can you know, pay back some of the investments they, they have. What are some of the struggles that the, these groups of content creators have had, would you say, uh, before this NFT phenomenon has come come to play? What are the options, really, uh, for a content creator to, to earn money right now, real money? Okay, sure. So, I mean, back in 2003, that was when I started my first business. It was a record label. And the reason we started it at the time I was in a rock band was because signing a record deal looked so unappealing. And we were starting to get enough interest in our music where we could have pursued that option. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, 15 years ago or more, a record deal, a publishing deal was basically signing over creative control of your work um, and having a multi 
product deal. So like a multiple albums that you're committed to doing. And there are so many factors that were weighted against the financial success of the creative person, whether it's a musician or an author. My first publishing deal as an author, I signed with a traditional publisher. I got 10% royalties that were paid 12 months after the book came out. So when you talk about some of the challenges, some of them have been structural, like it's a different business to have distribution to all retail outlets than it is to write a great song and even produce a great album. And so these, the power has started to shift where it's less dependent on having a huge like monolithic company to get behind and stamp approval behind a creative uh, talent, whether that's musician, author, performer, you have it. And now the bar is being lowered through things like self-publishing in the book space and YouTube for musicians and other ways to reach and build an audience. And I think that's like the second wave of the social web. And where we're going now is this third wave includes self-sovereign commerce. So instead of building an audience on YouTube, that YouTube's monetizing based on the eyeballs on your videos, and then maybe you get a little part of that, you could offer something and have direct commercial relationship with your fans, with your audience, without an intermediate party. I know that's a lot of words and stuff, but if we unpack that, the good news is there's more potential and more um, opportunity as a creative now than I've ever seen in, in my adult life as 18 years uh, running businesses, mostly in creative industries. Uh, so Jesse, you talk about intermediaries, right? So when you're signing over creative control, by the way, it was just funny you you, you said that about your first publisher. I, I just had a, a, an email exchange with one of my publishers today and, you know, I had thought that they got me some rights to to a translation like in February and I was just asking, you know, where essentially where's the money, where's the royalty check? And they said, well, you know, at some point in October we'll process the payments for the first six months. And I'm just thinking, is this, are we in the 18th century or are we actually in the 17th century of bookkeeping when, when this is still happening in your industry, right? But I didn't write that back probably wisely so uh but yeah <laughs> right there, there there is a problem with intermediaries in the current uh publishing industry uh but but can you completely get rid of intermediaries and do you want to i'm just asking that and then you know we'll get into nfts in a second because so record labels right and then you have spotify that came in but they're also in a certain sense an intermediary um and many of these will take most of your earnings but we live in the age of platforms, technology platforms, and they also famously take quite a bit of your earnings. I mean, Amazon will take 30% of your book too, 40, I guess. And then um, is there really a world here where you truly can avoid intermediaries or at least intermediaries that take much less of the earnings? How, how is that going to start to work? Um. I don't think we'll get to a place where there's no intermediaries, but this is how I see it. There's a transference of power away from the large, more centralized and legacy companies and, and towards the more small upstarts, um, as well as the innovative creators that are bypassing that entire route of, like in the author space, the, the path used to be write a book proposal, get a literary agent, pitch publishers, get a meeting, try to get an advance, 
write the book, finally release it, and then 12 months later, start to think about getting paid. So with that, you, you, you mentioned kind, Amazon and Kindle. They've inverted that where now you don't need any tech knowledge, just upload the book and the descriptive information, and you can keep up to 70% of the proceeds and access a market that serves half of all book buyers. So that's, that's like progress. But then where that can go is once um, gas fees and transaction costs continue to come down in the blockchain space, then it will be the same cost to deliver a book digitally, less eventually, than it is for Kindle or Amazon to deliver a Kindle book digitally. You could transfer an actual book file securely as a digital asset that now somebody owns. Um, which it's worth pointing out since we're talking about different business models, you mentioned Spotify as well. They revolutionized the music side of creative commerce. It used to be albums. You had to buy the whole album as a CD for $17.95 to get the one song you want. Then iTunes started doing single serving songs. So now you could just buy the song. Now the whole trend was create more hits because we're only selling a song at a time. And then Spotify introduced streaming which now allows the long tail of content to be accessible without buying it. You can just listen to it whenever you want. And then the, the creator or the rights holder gets a small stream royalty. So that's, that's I, I just talked through the book transition, the music transition, and there's others too. Like I'm not as versed with the film and TV space, but just look at Netflix is now a major content creator when they started they were delivering DVDs from the movie studios. Now they're creating the content and they're the distribution platform. So if you see these trends, then it's not magic to see where it's going and how you can be positioned to be to, to ride a wave that's definitely taking place. Hmm. So let's get to NFTs then. So NFT stands for non-fungible tokens and fungibility, I guess, means like interchangeability in, in this context. What is that all about? When did we get there with that technology and what is the relationship between NFTs and, and blockchain as a platform? Certainly. So yeah, an NFT, a non-fungible token, it's a unique digital asset that exists on a blockchain um, that verifiably is owned by whoever is holding that asset. You can also see the chain of custody. You can see everybody that's bought and sold that asset, and, uh, and that's all publicly visible. And so NFTs have been a part of video games for a few years. Like if you play a game and you get to higher levels, that could be stored in your character, and that itself could be a more valuable character that's achieved 10 levels in a game, per, let's say. And so part of NFTs... And, and, oh, wait, wait, wait a second. And, and then people then could sell that character. Is that the idea? Like, I can give you my login and then you start on level 10 instead of level 1. Is that Was that the no, idea? No, you could sell gaming? the character. You wouldn't give me your login. I would buy the character and it would transfer from your account to my account as a player and then I would pay you, whether in a digital currency or in cash, like US dollars. And so there's video game ecosystems that have tokens or the equivalent of a currency on that platform. And then the NFTs are the assets that you buy with that currency or with dollars. 
So that's that's kind of where it started to grow from. Then there's also been a huge emergence of art. Um, digital art has been sold in some cases for millions of dollars for a, a single NFT that's just an image. Um, and so you can see the art world is coming onto the blockchain. There used to be Sotheby's auctions, Christie's auctions to facilitate buying and selling expensive art. Now it can be listed on a digital marketplace, securely transacted, no middle party, and royalties are all built into those contracts. Um, so yeah, that's so, a little. Wait, wait, so I get that. I yeah. So I get the part where, I guess the technology of it so the the term is basically tokenized but you know basically it becomes a currency tradable using cryptocurrency uh, because it has an electronic record that shows who owns the piece of content and that's visible to everyone who cares to look and then you can start producing unique content that part i sort of get um, but there's a lot of questions around you know what then becomes valuable and uh, uh, you know, certainly, you know, pictures of cats, right, famously are like all over the internet. And, you know, if you're going to do social media, make sure to include a cat. I'm Note to self, right? Selling a book, I should include a lot of cat photos with my book. But going from that to like the notion that a certain picture can be, you know, say more than a, a thousand words and all of that stuff to actually then putting a price on something as simple as an image or something as simple as, I, I don't know, like three minutes of a concert. You know, what kinds of things are we really talking about here? I mean, art, I can understand. The actual artwork, I guess I understand if it's like a traditional artwork uh, in its digital form. But you're talking about a lot of other things. I mean, there's audio clips, video clips, and even tweets. People have like uh, turn a tweet into an NFT. I guess I still don't understand the ramifications of that and how it's even an asset. Sure. I mean, in a sense, you could say no one does. No one knows where this is all going to go. But at the same time, it's not mysterious how the value is is inherent to some of these assets. It functions on the same principle as somebody buying a, a physical piece of art. You know, if there's demand for it and there's reasons why somebody would want it, it could be... Um, the previous owner was a famous person. So now you bought the NFT from a famous sports celebrity or something like that. But let's set aside the art and video game applications because the interesting thing with NFTs and not coincidentally, what we're focusing on at PowerFan is value added NFTs where it could be um, the NFT, you purchase it, but now you get a signed copy of the book from the author you get access to an online training course and perhaps even a group coaching or a one-on-one -on -one call with the author themselves. So we can bundle up an experience and even a combination of something that's delivered physically as well as something that's delivered digitally. But the NFT becomes the key or the ticket or the, the pass that gives you access to it. Um, so that's also true for music, where you could buy an album and you buy the NFT. It looks like an album cover, but then once you're the owner of it, it unlocks the actual songs. Now you can listen to and play and use and enjoy the music. But then if you were to sell it, then now you're losing access to the music 
and somebody else has access to it because they now hold the NFT. Those are a few ex- examples of content NFTs. They're good examples. I guess I still am trying to wrap my head around it because I'm trying to understand the efficiency of this NFT versus, you know, the efficiency of you you were talking about courses and stuff. And I'm sure you can do just courses the regular way with saying it's 1099 or subscription models and all that stuff. One thing, though, I wanted to walk through this with you and maybe have you explain this. I found online a someone, Peter Yang, of the creator economy, was writing a little article about how to understand NFTs for creators. And he used the example of Taylor Swift. Uh, mostly to demonstrate, I guess, uh, you know, that famously, you know, she had to re-record her songs, but let, he was just sort of making an assumption, like, let's assume that she then uh, creates an NFT for a song, for one of her songs. And then uh, if you then buy that every time you would, a fan would resell Taylor's song, not only would the seller get, you know, some of the sale, but but Taylor could also ensure that she got some of the sale price every time she uh, that transaction happened. How does how is that guaranteed? Because that does seem to me like a v- tremendous innovation. The fact that you, as an author or a content kind of creator, can kind of hold on to the asset even though it transfers hands. Well, yeah, you mentioned this is one of the best aspects of NFTs is the r- residual royalties built into them so like yeah if it's taylor swift there may be some legal ramifications of her selling a song that already has some contractual agreement in which case it would be interesting for a court to sort that out but let's say there's no contractual conflict or potential conflict then yes you could sell an album or sell a song and every time it's sold you can define a royalty that flows back to you as the creator on every transaction. And so let's say, um, well, sure. I'll give a different example. There's an electronic music artist, Blau, um, and he did an album launch as NFT and it was an auction. And whoever won, the number one person, got um, a special edition copy of the album some other cool bonuses, but got to co-produce a song with Blau. So picture that. Now you can break into the music industry by winning an auction for an NFT, co-producing a track with a famous artist, and now you've got a co-production credit with a famous artist. Now you can approach someone else and say, hey, did you see the track I just did with Blau? Maybe we should collaborate. So from a totally different perspective, you could purchase or access an experience that goes far beyond just the content. And and notably, Blau made in the millions of dollars from that album launch. So it was a huge publicity event. One person won the co-production. 11 people total got a special NFT, but it got God knows how much uh, free publicity and sold that many more albums of just the normal album through other marketplaces. So you can, if you look at it 360 degrees, NFTs are hot right now. So if you do an NFT, but you also have your thing, your your product available in other channels, someone may hear about it because they saw NFT, but then go buy it on Amazon or buy it at, you know, wherever. Um, not that they could buy the NFT, but buy your other creative work. So I think I see that as well. Like savvy. How, how do they coexist? How? how- 
How do NFTs coexist currently? You mentioned the legal case. I mean, I could just imagine that hasn't been hashed out yet. The fact that you do have these physical products and all of these other business models, and then NFTs are like, they have rights of their own. And uh, doesn't that get a little messy? Um, it depends, is, is my answer. Like, for example, Taylor Swift's record deal from 10 years ago NFTs didn't exist. So there's obviously no language saying we own NFT rights to your music. So one side could make a case, hey, I retain the rights to NFTs for my songs. Whereas the record label could say, well, we're, we have language that covers future technological innovations. And then they're going to have it out with they're each in their own position. But um, but on the other hand, if Taylor Swift wasn't selling the song or selling the album, she could sell a collection of NFTs that give people access to a meet and greet where she'll sign albums and merch and take pictures with fans. Now there's no conflict because she's not selling her songs or her intellectual property. She's selling an experience that her fans want, capturing that revenue directly, and then delivering that experience. So there's just a real illustration of how you could totally sidestep the legal ramification if you already have a contractual agreement with a, a record label or a publisher. But if you don't, then it's fair game. Uh, and even if you do, if you're aggressive and this is not legal advice, just sell the NFT and then sort it out later. <laughs> it takes minutes to create and sell an NFT. So if somebody wants it, capture the the potential and then if somebody else has a problem with it sort that out next <laughs> jesse i want to get to both the upside on the yeah, that's clever i i want to get to both the upside and the downside and also some of the real realism also inside of this because you know clearly there are some things that are still either technically difficult or the platforms are are fairly new but first let's let's dive into this value added NFT space, which your uh, new company aims to, uh, you know, and have started, you know, monetizing and, and facilitating for content creators. What is it exactly to create a value added NFT? And what kinds of NFTs have you uh, thought up at PowerFan that authors and other content creators can leverage through you? Yeah, definitely. So like a value added NFT, you can think of it as a container that can hold any type of content, as well as a pass that gives you access to any kind of experience. And so we're doing, we're setting up a few launches right now. One's with an author who's doing a, a, an updated version of his book. Um, and the updated version of the book is going to be a limited edition NFT. So there'll be a hundred of them. And if you buy one of those hundred, you get access to a full training course that complements the book, plus um, uh, an interactive um, masterclass with the author where you can get your personal questions answered. So that's going to be, that's an example of um, somebody who already had a book doing an updated edition, launching it as something new and having it be a value-added experience. So it's the book plus a course, plus an interactive experience. Um, and there's a limited quantity so hopefully the demand is greater than 100 people, in which case there can become a secondary market of people um, 
buying and selling that to also access the course and the masterclass. Uh, and for example, and with those, that, those who sell that, would they, would they get uh, a fee? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so say, uh, say I'm doing that launch and you buy my value added book NFT for $200 and includes a training, a, a, a group call and something else, but then someone else buys it for $300. So a percent of that, that transaction would flow back to me. And then if someone then sold it for 400, that percent is a larger dollar amount. So if you can create a scenario where there's increased demand for a limited number of NFT assets, that's, that's getting into the intermediate level and stuff. But this is where the real opportunity is because it hasn't been available before in any other way. Like I, I'm a pub, book publisher. When we sell a book, somebody can sell that book. I have no idea who they sell it to, how much they sold it for, or any of that. But if it was an NFT, I'll know exactly who, or at least the wallet address of the owner, and I'll get a percent of that, and I can see it moving through the marketplace uh, without knowing who's buying and selling it individually, which is cool too. Hmm. What are some other examples that, that can exist? So, all right, so one is a limited edition, and it could be of a book or some other creative content. What are some other things that are some, I guess, slightly more outlandish? And, and you know, if you sort of think sort of going forward, because that's an extension still of something that could be done today, but just more finicky, right? You could do it with other business models, right? It's not a problem to establish a limited edition of a book. It's sort of a problem to control who who buys it because you don't control the marketplace so well as you would with an NFT. But you clearly can have a limited masterclass with only you know 100 seats. Uh, the secondary market I do get, but what are some like crazier ideas that you or others have had with NFTs that kind of go really beyond what we could imagine in a regular business model? Well, I'll give you two examples. We we just did an auction for a painting of Manny Pacquiao uh, against Jordanus Ugas. They had a big fight in Las Vegas. It was a title bout, and we worked with the the artist who's friends with Manny. He's painted him many times. So we filmed him painting a live painting. We had Manny and your dentist signed it and auctioned off an NFT. Whoever wins it gets the physical signed painting plus the behind the scenes video of it being painted. Um, and I think optional to like correspond with the artist or um, VIP access to a future launch. So that's that's one example um, that that blends the physical and digital and experiential space. And the other would be, where are we going with a course creator? Yeah. So the other is the auction. So like I mentioned, this limited edition of a book. There's a hundred of them. They're a fixed price to start with. That's not totally revolutionary, but part of that same launch is an auction where the author will do a one-on-one -on -one implementation of uh, the books about pay what you want pricing strategy. So if you win the auction, he'll do a bolt-on consulting with your business to implement a pay what you want strategy that's specific to your business model. Um, or if you're an author, have a pay what you want strategy that helps you sell your own books and, and other offers. So basically, 
I think the the coolest parts are experiences that are personalized that aren't available anywhere else, but that are also secured via a, a digital asset. Um, so instead of like just winning and sending money to a charity and then you get to do this thing with the famous person, now you're actually buying something that you can say, look, I won this auction. I now own this asset and I'm working directly with the creator uh, to to improve my own business. Those are a few examples, but I could give more well, to I- no, that's great. Good examples, but I'm just trying to understand how's that different from any sort of prize that you can give to people who are helping you out. Like if you, you know, uh, on uh, you know fundraising crowdfunding uh, platforms, there's always a prize that you can win. If like if I get to five thousand copies, or if I raise um, you know two hundred thousand dollars, everyone who helped me raise will get X. So the concept of having prizes isn't new, but I guess it's just that it's so much more flexible. With NFTs, well, there's a, a bunch of things. I mean, if you do a launch, like an internet marketing style launch, you need a payment processor. Um, you probably need an email client. You need promotional partners, or you're running ads. You've got to deliver with um, course software or some other way that you fulfill on the sale of your course. So all of that adds up, and almost all of it can be replaced with an NFT. So we're doing a course creator launch. The the NFT unlocks all of the training content of the course. So now you can go through the whole course. And then when you're done, you can sell it to someone else at a discount even. So I think one thing that's definitely never existed before is resale value for uh, content and training assets. Used to be if you buy an online course, you go through it, Maybe you give your friend your login and they didn't pay so someone else can access it, but there's no resale value. You don't sell it back to the creator once you go through it. So with this, you could there can be a marketplace where people can buy just like a refurbished phone, you know, basically just the same, but it's been used. Uh, and you get it for less than off-the-shelf price. And so that's definitely new. The, the ability to have resale value and verifiable chain of custody and ownership, um, not to mention fans literally being able to own a piece of their favorite creator. I mean, it's one thing to buy a book. It's another to own a limited edition thing where you're now directly connected with the creator. Um, and that, that itself is transferable and other people want that. So Yeah, there's a bunch of ways to look at it. And the final one that I would just hint at is events. Events are in the process of being massively revolutionized with NFTs, um, but also because of the pandemic and going virtual. That was one thrust. And NFTs are going to be the hard pivot from how events used to work. So like you've got a concert, let's say Taylor Swift. Those tickets go on sale, bots and scalpers buy them all up within the first couple minutes, maybe even seconds using computer algorithms. And then they sell them on the secondary market at a markup and the creator and the artist doesn't see any of that. And with an NFT, it's limited number of tickets, verifiable, you can't double hold a ticket. And if you did have secondary market sales, then you get a piece of that flowing back to the creator. 
But after the event, you can upload the video of the event only accessible to the ticket holders via their NFT. So it, it extends the event experience beyond the event itself. And to finish that thought off, after the event's over, you could sell it to somebody else. Now they can access it digitally at a lower price than it would have cost to attend it. And so those are a few more detailed ways that, um, that this is new, new technology, not just repackaging a way that you used to sell and market your offers. That's part of it for sure. But these are some of the truly new elements as well, technologically. Yeah, I mean, the event thing is interesting because I think we have all been waiting for something there. I mean, some people are waiting to go back to events. Others can't wait for events to end so they don't have to travel. Either way, if there's going to be events, we want to have better events, right? Or we want access to them in different ways. So that sounds like potentially a, a, a billion-dollar sort of killer application. The only thing is... I'm assuming, you know, because NFTs technically are available to a lot of people, I guess that is my next question here. In order to truly do this, you, you, so you are a marketplace, I guess, for NFTs, and the largest one is, is something called OpenSea. What are the ways that you actually uh, have to interact with intermediaries to make this work? Because, you know, it's not like everybody can just, as an individual creator, just create their NFT in an isolation. You need access to cryptocurrency. You do need a marketplace to make it real. And, and I guess this little bit goes into, so there's a cost to creating an NFT. It may be quick, no, there's but there's not. a little cost no, to not. it. No, not with us. No. Uh, on powerfan.io, you could create an account, takes about 30 seconds. You can start minting an NFT, takes three to five minutes to get it all set up. And then you can sell it on minute number six. Um, if it took you five minutes to get it set up, it doesn't cost anything. Um, we do a 2.5% transaction fee and we have a separate model. If we're going to do a whole launch with somebody like a, a special edition of a book, an event, we have a partnership model where we do 70, 30 in the creator's favor, no upfront cost. And then we build out the whole launch and strategize with them and help with the marketing. Um, so maybe other people charge, I don't know, but we have a no barrier to entry model. Um, and if people aren't familiar with how to do it, we've got tutorials, uh, videos, um, some with influencers like Evan Carmichael. We've got setting up his first crypto wallet live on video with our CEO, um, other people as well. So if you're interested, you can very quickly get familiar enough with the platform to mint your own NFTs. Um, Literally, you could do that today while you're listening. Right. So, Jesse, let's let's take. Okay, uh, that makes some sense to me. But let's just take me for example. Then um, I don't have a massive, massive audience. I do have an audience. We have a podcast. Uh, I have uh, some listeners. I have some, you know, uh, readers of my books. But one thing that I'm assuming you cannot automatically help me with. There's no magic fix to creating an audience, right? So you, you're still talking with you're dealing with your own the limitations of your own fame like it's not automatically a well apart from which maybe it would sound so cool that i'm doing an nft that there would be a little bit of extra interest but if i don't have an audience or whatever audience i have 
those are the same people I'll be emailing or social media posting to and saying, hey, I now have this NFT. So if no one's interested in Tron or Jesse, I mean, are we really going to get traction uh, in creating this NFT? No, of course not. But that's an easy problem to solve if you take a different perspective. I mean, your question answers itself. If you have no audience and no one's interested, there's going to be no sales. If you have a little audience and they're somewhat interested, then that's a start. But doing an NFT launch, especially right now, um, there's more attention and money flowing into this space than any other creative space. So you can enroll partners. You can get people in complementary industries to do a partnership where they get a percent of the sale if they promote your NFT launch to their community. You can um, solicit media and get the word out via press releases, podcasts, um, guest articles, doing Facebook Lives, Instagram TVs with other people. I've always looked at any kind of launch as an opportunity to expand and grow your audience as well as monetize it. So if you're operating in a small echo chamber, then that's not a recipe for success as a creator, just period. (laughs) But if you look at it as how do I reach new people, engage with them using new technology and new offers, and then deliver um, a valuable experience that they enjoy, that is definitely the recipe to build uh, an audience organically through word of mouth and through um, exposure. So then, Jesse, as a content creator, I should think of NFTs as an opportunity to make real connections with my audience and call them fans, call them listeners, call them whatever readers, deeper and more valuable over time and build deeper relationships basically through this new business model, which you think is more than a business model because it adds a almost like an emotional connection, I guess, if you because you sort of have access to something and it's a tangible asset. The only part I don't quite understand is when this asset, asset is transferred I mean, you sort of lose the fan in a certain sense, or would you say that's not happening because that person is now vested in you as a as a resource because they've made money on you technically? If I, if I was that fan and I bought something and then was able to sell it to another fan, I'd love that creator even more, better than selling me something that becomes worthless. Um, but looked at one other way, and then we'll need to start to wrap this up uh, just time-wise, but... We're working with another podcaster where each new episode of the podcast is going to be an NFT. And one lucky listener will win the NFT for each episode. And the NFT will not only include the episode, but a a bonus from the guest. So when I was on that show and we hatched the idea, the NFT of our episode will include a thousand PFAN tokens, plus they own the episode NFT. And so for a podcaster, there is a way to get some new interest on your podcast if every episode is a chance to win an asset that gives valuable bonuses, and you don't even have to create them. Your guest provides it. So that might create some new buzz, some new word of mouth. Um, And that's just another example of how using NFTs and communicating it can build the audience. Um, if for no other reason than positioning you as like taking advantage of new technology and 
most of the people I think of as influencers, they're the first people on a new platform. Gary Vee was screaming about TikTok before most people knew of it. And before that, it was other platforms. Um, you know, certain people got major traction on Clubhouse right when it launched and built audiences in the tens of thousands in a couple months just by showing up and being in social audio rooms talking about things they already know about. So one part of it is the technology. The other part is like first mover and, and being an early mover and a creative person with that technology. And then seeing what the response is and pivoting based on the real feedback that you get from your audience, from your fans and clients. Well, fascinating discussion, Jesse. Thanks for um, letting me in on what uh, this opportunity could be all about. Um, I wish you best of luck with, uh, I guess, the launch and the rollout of uh, Parafan. Thanks so much for having me and thanks everybody for uh, joining us. You have just listened to episode 142 of the Futurized podcast with host Ronarne Unheim, futurist and author. If you are interested in trans products or services, feel free to check out futurized.org slash store where you can book a keynote speech, become a sponsor or partner, request a podcast swap, or buy a few trans books such as Health Tech, Future Tech, Pandemic Aftermath, Disruption Games, or Leadership from Below. If you are interested in all of Tron's projects, check out his website, trondenheim.com, which has links to all his other podcasts as well as his public appearances. The topic of this episode was the future of monetizing content. And in this conversation, we talked about what content creation is and what's wrong with the business model and how NFTs possibly can fix it. My takeaway is that content creation is important both as a creative and as a professional outlet. Whilst NFTs do provide great opportunities to experiment, they cannot replace building an audience in the first place, which means it is a great method for people with pre-existing audience of some sort to try to get them hooked on your content and allow them to compensate you for it. Times are exciting. It's hard to know where this will shake down, but the internet so far, for all its freedom of expression, has been tough for folks trying to monetize content. Thanks for listening. If you liked the show, subscribe at futurize.org or in your preferred podcast player and rate us with five stars. If you like this topic, you may enjoy other episodes of Futurized, such as episode 119, DeFi's impact on business and society, episode 98, free speech on social media, or episode 78, the next generation marketplaces. Hopefully you'll find something awesome in these or other episodes. And if so, do let us know by messaging us. We would love to share your thoughts with other listeners. Futurized is created in association with Yegi, the Insight Network. Yegi lets clients create multidisciplinary teams consisting of subject matter experts, academics, consultants, data scientists, and generalists who are team leaders. Yegi's services include speeches, briefings, seminars, reports, and ongoing monitoring. And you can find Yegi at yegi.org. The Futurized team consists of podcast host and sound technician Tran Unheim, videographer Raul Edward D. Tribithan, and podcast marketer Nahin Israfil Hussein. Please share this show with those you care about. To find us on social media is easy. We are Futurized on LinkedIn and YouTube and Futurized 2 on Instagram and Twitter. See you next time. Futurized. Conversations that matter.